Yeah, it is a, it is a bit dark, this one. Uh, we are reading Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. If you're using a red Bible, it's page 250. So page 250 in the Red Bibles, Numbers chapter 25, reading from verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before those gods, so Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Thanks, Nick. Shall we pray? Father, we believe that these things happen to them as examples to teach us. And so we pray you would open our minds and hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning, to take these lessons to heart, to put them into practice, that we might live lives that honour and glorify you. Amen. We sang in that kid's song about David and Daniel, uh, lots of examples in the Bible of uh, people for us to, to learn from and this term in our sermons and in kids church we've been learning from the example of the Israelites in the wilderness uh, through the book of Numbers. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 uh, Paul looking back on that period of history says these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Uh, we've called our, our series numbers walking in the wilderness and we've come to the last two talks in the series we've got 11 chapters to go um, we were going to try and cover seven this week but I think I'm going to cut that down um, these last 11 chapters do feel a bit random but there are some really significant lessons for us to learn uh, we've seen through the book as a whole that um, the way these stories point forward to Christ and what God is doing in Christ. But Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 10 that these stories are meant to warn us and instruct us. Uh, he says to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. 
We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So these stories in Numbers are to warn us to flee idolatry and to keep us from selling our hearts on evil. They're written to help us live holy, distinctive lives of following the Lord Jesus. Because the danger for the Israelites The danger for the Corinthians that Paul was writing to, and the danger for us is that we just go along with what everyone else around us is doing. But if we're serious about following Jesus, then that will mean, at many points, living out of step with everyone else. And so this morning we're going to look at, there was going to be five, we're going to look at three truths that should profoundly affect the way that we live. Firstly, sin deserves death, so live seriously. Sin deserves death, so live seriously. Throughout Numbers so far, we've, we've seen God's amazing grace held alongside uh, the people's ugly sinfulness. And so here in Numbers 25... Um, The previous chapters, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Numbers 22 to 24, were all about God's utter commitment to continue blessing his people. And then immediately after that, Numbers 25 tells us about the people's utter rejection of their gods. We've just heard God's utter commitment to his people, and then we read of the people's utter rejection of their God. Their holy Lord, their gracious Savior, once again they treat him with utter contempt. Now, a bit of kind of context. Baal, who uh, we read about here, was the pagan god of fertility. And his worship often involved sacred prostitution. And here we read how the Israelite men are seduced into joining in with this, this immoral practice. They join in the sacrifices. They join in the sexual immorality. They bow down to these pagan gods, we're told they yoke themselves to the Baal of Peel. Now, if you were God, how would you feel? Verse 3 tells us the Lord's anger burned against them. Verse 4 tells us something serious needs to happen to turn the Lord's anger away, that the leaders, the representatives of the people are to be killed. But Moses doesn't do that, and a plague breaks out. Then, verse 6, while this is all going on and the people are weeping because so many are dying, an Israelite man called Zimri, we learn later, walks right past Moses and all the people with a Midianite woman on his arm and he takes her into his tent to have sex with her. Phinehas, the priest, is so outraged at this brazen dishonoring of God that he goes into Zimri's tent and drives his spear through the man and the woman, presumably right as they're having sex. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? And perhaps even more shocking, we didn't read it, is the fact that Phinehas is commended for his action because he was zealous for the honor of Yahweh. As a result, the plague was stopped, but verse 9 tells us 24,000 people had died.
If nothing else, this story teaches us very clearly, doesn't it, that sin is really serious. It deserves death. It always has done. Think right back to the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve in the garden and God telling them, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except this one. Don't eat from that tree or you will die. Sin deserves death. I mean, why did God allow his son to die on the cross? That's pretty drastic. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Well, because sin deserves death. And the only way God could save us was by Jesus dying in our place. That wonderfully means we don't need to be afraid of God punishing us for our sin. God has promised he's never going to do that because Jesus was punished in our place. But we do need to live seriously. We sometimes think that sin isn't really that serious. It doesn't matter that much. It's naughty but nice. But these stories from Numbers and the story of the cross tell us something different. Sin deserves death. It is deadly. It's dangerous. And so we must never take it lightly. We need to live seriously. Our contemporary culture is pretty shallow. We communicate in tweets and memes and sound bites. And it's all too easy to get consumed in social media and mindless entertainment. To, to believe that the only sin would be to deny myself complete expression of every desire. But what does Jesus say? Whoever would come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If your right hand causes you to sin, what does Jesus prescribe? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. Sin is deadly, so live seriously. Secondly, God is incredibly gracious, so live humbly. God is incredibly gracious, so live humbly. Amazingly, the next chapter, chapter 26, begins like this. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of the whole Israelite community by families, all those 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army. And so they do that. They take a census of the whole Israelite community by families, all those 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army. And it's another wonderful display of God's amazing grace. Despite their complete rejection of him, God doesn't wipe them out. He sticks with them. He's determined to bless them. He's determined to fulfill his promise to them. And so all the men are counted a second time. And it's almost exactly the same as the number counted back in chapter 1. These are the men who are going to serve in the army because there are still battles to be fought to enter the land. But there's another reason for the census. If you look to 26 verse 52, the Lord said to Moses, the land is to be allotted to them as an inheritance based on the number of names. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance, and to a smaller group, a smaller one. Each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. Sin is serious, it deserves death. And every one of the previous generation have died in the wilderness over the last 40 years. But this is the new generation. 
and they will enter the land. They will receive their inheritance, not because they're less sinful. We've just seen that, haven't we, in chapter 25? But because God is incredibly gracious. And it's essential that this new generation remembers that, remembers that their only hope is in the grace of God. The next book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, there's this repeated refrain. God is speaking to this new generation as they're about to enter the land. And he says, remember, remember, don't forget. Remember how I rescued you from Egypt. Remember how your fathers rebelled and died in the wilderness. Remember how you stand by grace. Remember that it's the Lord who is bringing you into this land. Don't forget. Don't let your hearts become proud. Don't start thinking that you're entitled, that you've earned the blessings you enjoy. Always remember you stand by grace alone. You live by grace. Every blessing you enjoy is a gift of grace. So live humbly. Live gratefully. God is incredibly gracious. And the third point we're going to look at this morning, the third truth, is that we all leave a legacy, so live intentionally. We all leave a legacy, so live intentionally. The the census here at um, Numbers 26 marks the beginning of a, a fresh start for God's people. It also marks the end of that older generation. What will that older generation be remembered for? Well, their story really begins back in Exodus 32 with the incident of the golden calf. And it ends in chapter 25 of Numbers with this idolatry at Baal Pale. And in between, it's mostly whinging, isn't it? Their legacy is a strong warning against wasting your life. I don't know about you, you probably don't think much about leaving a legacy. But... Now would be a good time to start because we all will. I'm not suggesting we're going to be remembered for generations to come. That's pretty unlikely. That's the lesson of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? You're probably not going to be remembered even by your own relatives, give it a couple of generations. But we do all leave our mark on the world, a a ripple of influence. How we live impacts others especially those closest to us. And that doesn't have to be in big, dramatic ways. Keith and Sarah Condy's marriage course encourages couples to focus on little things every day. They say that's the way to enrich your marriage, not primarily through expensive gifts or big holidays, but little things every day. And I think in the same way, as we get on with our call to follow Jesus in the ordinary stuff of life, we can bring glory to God and blessing to others. Incredibly, God sweeps us and our ordinary lives up into his eternal purposes for the world. That is one of the great lessons of the book of Ruth, isn't it? At a human level, it's a story of ordinary people navigating their way through challenging circumstances. Ruth displays great loyalty to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Boaz shows great kindness to Ruth, a foreign widow. And yet, unbeknown to them, they are caught up into God's great plan of salvation because their baby, Obed, 
has a son called Jesse, whose youngest son is King David, the greatest king of Israel. And Ruth gets a mention at the opening of Matthew's gospel because one of her distant descendants was a man called Joseph from Nazareth who became the father of the Lord Jesus. It's easy to feel that your life doesn't count for much, but Jesus says different. Even a cup of cold water given to one of his followers is seen and rewarded. I've told this story before, but some time ago. The the first time I led on a youth camp in the UK, I was a student, 20 years old, and um, in the dorm that I was leading, I was given responsibility for uh, a couple of the boys. One of them was uh, a 13-year-old boy called David. And over the course of the the 10-day camp, I sought to get alongside him and get to know him and hear him, share the gospel with him, And in the year following, I visited him once at at the place where he lived. And then I didn't see him again until about 10 years later when I was at Bible college and visited a church for the first time. And a man walked up to me and greeted me by name. And his face looked vaguely familiar. And he reminded me that he was David, the boy that I'd first met 10 years ago. And he shared a bit of his story, and it was so encouraging to hear how he'd grown in faith, how he was now doing a a ministry apprenticeship at the church. And he said, Ben, I always thank God for you because you were the first person who shared the gospel with me. You know, we don't always get those encouragements. We don't always get to see the fruit of our labors. But one day we will. One of the wonderful things about eternity will be getting to hear the stories of how God has used us. I reckon people will come up to us and say, Holly, thank you for praying for me. It's your prayers that have enabled me to be here. Johnny, God used the example of your life to open my eyes to Jesus. Bethany, either of you, only one's here. (laughs) Uh, It was your words of encouragement that kept me going. Nick, uh, the way that you uh, encouraged me, helped me to understand the love of God. We will all leave a legacy, so live intentionally. So this is some of the shape of the life that we're called to, that this new generation... Uh, being called as they prepare to enter the land to live seriously, to live humbly, to live intentionally, to remember. And that's the life that we are called to live as well. Now, of course, that new generation couldn't do it. They couldn't put it off. No subsequent generation could live in that way until... One came to whom these chapters point, the Lord Jesus, in whom God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's the one who lived like this with real seriousness and humility and intentionality. And he's the one who makes it possible for us to live like this as well. So let's look to him, keep our eyes fixed on Christ, keep relying on him, delighting in him because it's in him alone that God's given us all the riches of his grace. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray that you help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. You'd encourage us to keep following him in the everyday stuff of life. Give us a renewed seriousness about sin. Help us to not take it lightly, but flee idolatry. Help us to live humbly, remembering your grace, remembering that we stand only by grace, that every blessing we enjoy is a gift. Please um, root out any entitlement from our hearts. Would we live with gratitude and humility? And help us to live with purpose and intentionality, knowing that we can honor you, we can please you, we can glorify you and bring blessing to others just uh, in simple acts of kindness, in little words of encouragement as we seek to follow Christ and point people to him. We pray in his name. Amen.